do it, optimizing your cloud spend while controlling your costs is easy. By combining intelligent software with expert consultancy and unlimited support, Doit delivers the true promise of the cloud with ease, not cost. Learn more at doit.com. That's D-O-I-T.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, brand spanking new programming language edition. This is part one of a two-part conversation. So if you enjoy, please tune in again next Tuesday for the second half. I am Ben Popper, your director of content, joined, as I often am, by our blog impresario, newsletter maven, and occasional podcast co-host, Ryan Donovan. Oh, so fancy. How are you doing, Ben? I like to up your title every time. Uh, yeah, I'm doing really well. Yeah. We are joined today by Chris Latner, who's the CEO of Modular Inc. Folks may know him as the creator of several languages. And today we're really excited to chat with him about Mojo, a new programming language. Talk about how they built it, why they constructed the way they did, and how it all ties back to the big topic du jour, uh, how do you get the most out of the incredible powers of the latest AI, and how do you get those into your organization so you can make the most of it? Chris, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. It's really great to be here. So for folks who are listening, uh, just you know, give them a quick flyover. How'd you get in the world of software and technology, and what led you to your current role? I know you've been in the world of developing and designing new languages. Yeah. So I've been programming since I was a kid. I first fell in love with video games, as one often does. This was a few years ago, so that was Commodore 64 kind of timeframes, but really got in and fell in love with early computers. And early computers were very different than today's computers because you could actually understand how they worked. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I kind of grew up through that whole you know, early 80s timeframe and stuff like that, learning how this stuff works. Went to school for computer science, eventually popped out in the industry and wanted to get a job. And so I had studied in school this art of compiler design. And compilers are that magical software that takes your programming language and gets it to run on the hardware that you care about and kind of pursued that in various different ways ever since. But what I found is that over the years, it's not just about building the thing. It's also about building a team. It's about building out a technology, building out a product. And I fall in love with all the different pieces of this journey. Nice. The stats about Mojo here seem really compelling and interesting. You say it's got the usability of Python and the performance of C. It's sort of cherry-picking the best of both worlds. Can you talk about how you, you have a language that does that? Yeah, sure. So you could look at Mojo in two different ways. Right? And so on the one hand, uh, many folks look at it as a Python++. And so you work forwards from how do we make Python better? And one aspect of that is uh, performance. Right? And so many people want Python to go faster or they don't want a global interpreter lock, and so they want to have multiple threads, things like this. What we also want to do is unify the world. And so one of the challenges of building many Python libraries is they end up being super complicated because you have the Python layer on top, and then you have the C and C++ layer below them. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what, if you look at Mojo as a Python++, you can see in it is saying, okay, let's bring these two worlds together. Let's make it so you can use one language that spans both the stuff you'd write in C but also the stuff you write in Python. Mm -hmm. And there's no magic in the world, in my opinion, or at least it hasn't been discovered yet. And so if you want to get C-like performance, you need to use types, mm -hmm. but you don't need to get C-like performance for all code. And so what Mojo provides is it says, okay, well, if you want to use dynamic types, you want to make things super flexible, super dynamic, that's awesome. That's great for certain kinds of code. The typed lower level kinds of programming, also awesome, very good for certain kinds of code. And let's allow programmers to pick the right tool for the job that they have. 
Now, the other way to look at Mojo is if you say, okay, it's a Python++, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, and where modular is coming from, is it's working backwards from the full capability of the hardware. Mm. Right? And so you know, we talk about, you know, in some cases, um, Mojo can be up to 68,000 times faster than Python. Right? Well, why is that? Well, it's because we're not trying to make a Python that's 10% better or 10x better. We're working backwards from the full capability of the hardware. And hardware these days, you have 100 core servers, you have GPUs, you have these machine learning accelerators, you have all this cool, wacky stuff that exists in the ecosystem. And so where Mojo actually came from is that world where it's fully unlocked the full power of the super parallel, super complicated, advanced hardware that you know, it's really mostly the AI world is really struggling with right now. Mm -hmm. So is Mojo still an interpreted language or are you compiling to binaries? We're compiling straight through to binaries. We build on top of the LLVM compiler framework, but then there's a new layer of compilers that have been created that I created along with many other people a few years ago called MLIR. MLIR is like a much more advanced LLVM-like thing. And so we're using a whole bunch of really aggressive and advanced compiler technology that don't exist in other programming languages. And so, again, coming from the make all the hardware go vroom kind of <laughs> part of the problem, we had to reinvent an entirely new compiler stack to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons why Mojo is kind of like an epoch different than a Swift or a Clang or a Julia or a Rust or a, you know one of these other kinds of languages that exist. And so, Chris, you mentioned earlier, you know, there's no magic in the world. I guess from what you're saying, it sounds like there were things you had to invent, uh, the new compilers, but a lot of what you were able to accomplish was saying, in essence, what if, you know, we started from scratch with something like Python, but took advantage of X, Y, and Z because we think this is where the world is going because hardware has changed. I know you've worked in a lot of, yeah, different languages, but are there things that surprised you along the way as you crafted uh, Mojo? And how long did it take to go from, yeah. you know, the idea to where you are today? Well, just for background, Mojo is the fourth major language I've built that's not a toy. And so this includes things like uh, OpenCL many years ago, which is a very popular GPU programming thing. C++, that's a pretty popular language with, with Clang. And the Swift programming language, we created all these things from scratch and have learned a huge amount of what it takes to build a compiler, what it takes to build a programming language, what better and worse looks like. For example, one lesson is that a language isn't successful because of its compiler. Turns out you need the full developer tools tool suite that goes into this things, including a debugger and an IDE and all these kinds of features. So when working on Mojo, Mojo is a product of Modular, the company that, that I lead. Modular started out by wanting to solve a whole bunch of very specific AI usability and feature and capability problems. Like we wanted to unlock a next generation of programming for these advanced accelerators and things like this. And so the way we started is we said, okay, well, there's this really low-level compilery stuff. You need to be able to do kernel fusion. You need to talk to things like TensorFlow and PyTorch and GPUs and like all this very low-level stuff that you need to do. And so we started by creating the compiler first. Mm. And so our compiler, you know, I know many compilers, but I'm not aware of any <laughs> compiler that's in the same category because it's designed for a cloud-first, there's more than one computer in the world kind of architecture. Mm. It's designed for cacheability. It's designed for a whole bunch of things which really matter when you have large-scale code bases. And why is it that you know, every time you compile a C file, it's redoing all of the work from the last time, even though you only changed one function, right? Okay. And so many of these problems are things that the software industry has struggled with for many, many, many years. And you can only fix them if you first principles compiler architecture 
as part of this problem. Mm-hmm. Now, the way we built it out is we built it out as pure infrastructure for quite a while. And we got to actually just last October. So by the way, Mojo is less than a year old. <laughs> and we got to the point where we said, okay, well, all the users of Mojo were internal to modular, and they're using it to build high-performance numeric kernels, doing matrix multiplications and convolutions and this kind of work. But they're having to write directly to the compiler representation itself. And that was a huge pain. <laughs> so what we did is we said, okay, we have this really fancy compiler stuff, but it has zero usability. It's barely usable and only by like four people that can do this. We need syntax. Mm-hmm. And so when you decide, okay, I need syntax, well, then you go and you say, well, how best should I go tackle this problem? And so we went and we looked around and said, okay, well, we know C++. I've been there, done that. I know Swift. I know Rust and Julia and like all, friends with all these people. But everybody in the machine learning world is in Python. Mm-hmm. And so Python is really the obvious choice. And so the way to look at Mojo is it's compiler first, syntax second. Mm-hmm. But when we realize that Python is the thing, we double down on it and said, how do we build the world's best member of the Python family we can? And that's where we came to this realization that we didn't want to fragment Python. I mean, many people remember the Python 2 to Python 3 transition and all this kind of stuff. We don't want to live that again. And so what we needed to do is we said, okay, well, we're going to commit to building a full superset of Python, one that's compatible with all the weird things, whether they're great or not, but also that gives you all these other features that you need for the systems programming part of the problem. Yeah. One of those features, I noticed uh, you have an ownership and borrow checker, which I've heard of from Rust, and I've heard it's a very powerful but also controversial part of Rust's memory management. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that memory safety without irritating your your users? Yeah, great question. So the technology is very similar intentionally to what the Rust people did. The Rust folks were inspired themselves from other previous systems like Cyclone and other other technologies. And so everything in the world is a remix, right? And so what I look at is when building or designing a thing, it's not about novelty. That's really rarely what drives me, novelty for its own sake. This is why I didn't survive very long in academia. (laughs) That's not what personally motivates me. What motivates me is uh, utility, usability, capability, these kinds of things. And so when I look at Rust, the borrow checker is quite profound. It has many amazing benefits, including safety, including the expressivity that it provides and the threading. There's a lot of great things about the borrow checker. The problem is it got put into a system where the entire community and the culture is really about zero abstraction, like understand and micromanage everything that happens in the system. Mm-hmm. Like So one of the early design points of Rust was they wanted it to be usable without a runtime. Right. So that's, that's cool. I, I mean, Mojo also compiles down to very tiny binaries, right? But with that aesthetic, right, what ends up happening is a lot of the libraries expose a lot of their internal implementation details onto users. And so... The approach with Mojo is to say, okay, well, you can have a string that has a plus method that allows you to concatenate it. And you can also project inner pointers, references into it if you'd like to. But let's allow users to choose the best way to code their own application. And if you want to micromanage the internals of string, go for it. Let's not force everybody to do that every time they want to concatenate something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that was one of the um, selling points of Python is that it takes care of a lot for you. And that's why I think a lot of data right. scientists and a lot of ML AI folks glommed onto it because it's just easier. Well, and, and I think that my approach and I think what you'll see in Mojo is that uh, we try to get out of religion. <laughs> so a lot of 
a lot of languages you may have noticed get very polarized and people glom onto things as being the right answer. So let me give you an example. Static types. Mm-hmm. Like many people will tell you static types are the thing. Like if you don't have static types, you can't write correct code and therefore they will not use a language unless it's statically typed. And then there's other people that say, you know what the most horrible thing ever invented is? It's static types. Like dynamic types are the only way to go. Static types <laughs> just get in your way, slows you down, like all, all this stuff. Both of these camps have truth, right? There's correctness to both of their arguments, but what's happening is they're conflating the technical point that they're making with their specific use case and generalizing. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that there's actually many different problems that people want to solve, and there's actually different technologies that can make sense in different use cases. And so if you have a super dynamic UI library or something like that, then using super dynamic, extensible, flexible techniques can be really great. If you want to write a matrix multiplication, you probably don't want virtual function pointers and stuff like that going on, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really about allowing people to use the right tool for the job. So you talk about this as very much designed for AI ML. Does the language itself include any AI ML features? The language itself doesn't, but it really dovetails very intentionally with the modular AI engine. Mm-hmm. And so what modular is providing is that we're, again, we're building all this AI tech. And the AI tech that we're building is really designed to be a drop-in replacement for TensorFlow and PyTorch that is better for performance, for capability, for programmability through Mojo, things like this. And so that better together story is really important to what we're building. Now, Mojo stands alone. And so if you want to use it as a you know, replacement for C or replacement for Python or whatever it is that you want to do, it totally works that way. But what is really exciting about the AI world from a languages and from a systems perspective is that what AI has done is it has moved the, the programming paradigm from being, here's a pile of for loops, to something that can span many machines. Mm. And so AI ends up being distributed. AI ends up being heterogeneous, meaning that you can have a CPU and you can have a GPU, and you're writing, quote-unquote, a program that runs across both of those. Mm-hmm. Right? And so one of the challenges that many systems have is that when you're doing that, the code that you write for a CPU and the code you write for a GPU are in different languages. Mm-hmm. For example, C++, CUDA. Right? And then you get into ML, and it's CUDA, C++, and Python, right? And so a lot of what Mojo is doing is it's unifying this technology stack. And by doing so, it like really radically drives out complexity from the system because, I mean, these are very different languages. These are very different trade-offs. There are very different problems being solved here. And so what the AI engine allows you to do is to take this next level up programming abstraction and then be able to actually distribute it across a whole bunch of different machines actually target an accelerator or maybe multiple, right? This kind of stuff. And this is something that programming mm-hmm. languages in general, outside of research, have not have not tried to do. And so what we're doing is we're kind of building both parts of this. Now, Mojo itself is super available and it's open. You can go download it right now and I encourage you to if you haven't. Um, the AI engine is still being used by early design partners. And so we'll be rolling that out later this year. Are there any examples in the wild with early partners or folks that you worked with, you know, with the internal alpha beta testers that we can point to so people can look out and see what folks have been building with Mojo? Yeah, absolutely. Just share how early Mojo is. We announced Mojo in May. So we said, hey, there exists a thing called Mojo. And we allowed people to play with it in this hosted notebook environment where you could, you know, if you ask nicely, you could get access to and you could go play with it in this hosted cloud environment. And the reason we wanted to do that is because Mojo is still early. 
And so we wanted to get it out there. But it turns out building a programming language is really hard. Right? It takes a long time. There's a whole bunch of engineering that goes into it. And like I mentioned before, it's not just about having a compiler. You have to have VS Code support. You have to have code formatting. You have to have all these other pieces that people expect to go with it. And so just last week, in fact, we just announced the ability so that you can download the Mojo SDK. And so this has allowed people to actually download the compiler and run it like a normal programming language on their machine. And with that, you get VS Code support, you get a debugger, you get a whole bunch of other features that come with it that, in my opinion, are table stakes features that you should have, right? And we needed time to complete that. That's why we didn't release it in May. Now, given that it's only been out for a week, it's amazing to see what people are doing, right? And so people have already ported and built entire neural networks in Mojo. They're building system libraries. There's people that are talking about building GUI libraries. So for user interfaces, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happening. And this is just one weekend. And so that community is, it's super exciting. Um, I'd really encourage you to check out our Discord channel if you're interested. There's, as we speak now, over 20,000 people in it. And they're all like talking about doing cool things. And I don't know where any of it will go, but we'll see. One of the other things that's really important about Mojo is that Modular uses it internally. And so one of the lessons I learned building Swift is that, you know, we put a lot of really hard work into Swift, but very few people knew about Swift before it was launched. And so we launched Swift as 1.0 back in 2014, and nobody had really used it. And so what happened is you throw this thing out into the world, a bunch of developers start playing with it, and you start to realize there's a bunch of problems. Right. In contrast, Mojo has been used pervasively within Modular, right? Again, we built it as a solution to one of our problems. And so this is not an academic science project or a toy thing. This is really, really important to our core business, which is why we're putting so much energy into doing something that's so difficult. And so, you know, the AI engine is, I guess, in a, another way, like the most exciting thing that I know that's built in Mojo. But, you know, we're not limited to just that. I mean, I think that we're just still quite early. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We'd like to shout out a user on Stack Overflow who came on and saved a little knowledge from the dustbin of history. I want to shout out Shen Yuan Lu, who ordered two days ago a Lifeboat badge for helping to answer the question, how do I order a priority queue of elements? Well, there's an answer here, and it's helped over 23,000 people. So thanks again. As always, I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. You can call it Twitter if you don't like X. You can email us, podcast at Stack Overflow, with questions or suggestions. And if you enjoy the program, give us a rating and a review because it really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And uh, I suppose I'm still on X at Arthur Donovan. I'm Chris Latner, and you can find me on X slash Twitter slash whatever that thing is at clatner underscore LLVM. We're building lots of cool stuff at Modular. You can visit us at modular.com and check out Mojo and check out everything else that's going on there. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Just want to remind you that we have part two of this interview with Chris dropping on Tuesday of next week. So please tune in.